Steph West is the founder of Starfish Social Club, where she is a social coach for neurodivergent kids. The work she does is amazing. You know, if she didn't have her own neurodivergence, she probably wouldn't have had the same type of connection or impact on helping others the way she does. And she lives life by a simple mindset that everything's going to work out if you do what you're supposed to do. So be sure to check out our links in the show notes below. Before we get into today's episode, I have a few questions really quick. Do you want a free condensed copy of my book where you get free tools, three free tools? Do you want 33? Yes. More threes, 33% off all prints from my photography gallery for life. And do you want free updates weekly on everything that I do with the whole navigating neurodivergence empire that I have? Well, guess what? You can get all that in one place. Go to navigatingneurodivergence.org, and it has links to everything. If you want to buy my book, if you want to find all my social media, find my photography, uh, sign up for the newsletter, everything. It has everything. It's all at navigatingneurodivergence.org. And now, let's get on with the show. Hi, Steph. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I can't, you know, thank everyone out there enough for coming on, telling their stories, and just... Letting everyone know, first of all, they're not alone. <laughs> it's a big thing in my my uh, in my heart is like we all go through some crazy stuff. But with Steph, you know, you mentioned in your in your little notes that you said to me, you're like, hey, you know, I have ADHD. I was like, oh, okay. And then you're like, uh, I'm also a coach, and I also, <laughs> you know, have the Starfish Social Club. And I was like, whoa, okay, there's actually a lot here. Let me. This <laughs> guy start taking notes. I'm like. Okay, so I have to always ask this. When people have ADHD, they grow up not knowing because mm -hmm. they think the world is just like, hey, this is what I have to do. And, you know, everyone must be going through this. When were you, well, first, were you diagnosed officially? Yes. When, when did that happen for you? Two years ago. Uh, you're, <laughs> so you're in the same boat I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, I always call it like a breathtakingly refreshing to know that hey, everything up to that point, I felt like it was hard, but I thought I was just not as good at doing everything that everyone else was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I can't life. <laughs> I can't life as well as everyone else is lifing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always, especially late diagnosis, you know, I was diagnosed at 39. I, I couldn't, I had that moment of, uh, oh no, like I, I got through 39 years of life and I screwed up. Like i found dead ends everywhere and stopped myself but at, right after that like did you have a moment of clarity and go oh I can do things different now <laughs> I think what's really interesting about my experience is that I am a social coach for neurodivergent kids 
This is what I do. <laughs> I've I've been my entire professional career has been in the neurodivergent world. I was a special education teacher. I was a behavior specialist. I was a school administrator um, in a special needs school. This is what my whole professional experience has been. Um, and so to get the diagnosis, it was kind of humorous, actually. Um, <laughs> But because that this is my world, it gives so much more credibility to what I do, if that mm. makes sense. It, yeah. you know, I, I am now in a position where I'm teaching people through personal experience. I'm not an outsider, you know, teaching a group of people that I don't have a connection to. I'm, I'm teaching my students because we're we're all living this together even last night i was doing a one-on-one -on -one session with a kiddo i have who's seven and we were practicing um the session started with him telling me i actually literally a 10 minute story <laughs> <laughs> i was watching the time about something that had happened to him since the last time we had our session 10 minutes um, and so I use that to, to say, hey, let's play a game where we go back and forth. I call it the boomerang, no. right? And we go back and forth, and but we're going to try to keep it on topic. So what's a question you could ask me about this story that you just told? And, you know, we were going back and forth. And, and one of his questions to me was, do you know that you're speaking to somebody who's autistic? He's seven, right? And so I said, yes, I actually do know that you're autistic. And he was like, oh, man. And I was like, well, this is what I do. You know, that's that's why you and I are here. And then I said, did you know that you're speaking to somebody with ADHD? And he was like, oh. And then he said, well, I have ADHD, too. And I said, yeah, high five. <laughs> we did a Zoom high five. Um, so it's. I get that reaction from my students a lot that it's um, it's we we have this innate connection because we share this thing about us mm. but it's I also think it when I share that it helps my students see neurodivergence in in a different way I think so often especially with kids um, the majority of my students are autistic, and so they've been diagnosed as kids, right? Yeah. Um, and so sometimes when we have conversations about what it means or how we feel or how we think, it's a lot of the negative aspects, a lot of the things that they're having a hard time with, a lot of the things that are difficult. And I always flip that script. You know, yeah. I always turn that around. But again, I can do that because I live it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just kind of speculation and yeah. you know conjecture. But I live it. I can I can tell them, you know what the amazing things about you are this and this and this, and it's because <laughs> your brain is the way that it is. You yeah. know. So that was yeah. my long ramble about that. <laughs> but I think that that that's a very beautiful sentiment. Is we we live it. I think uh, when I wrote my book on accident, I always laugh. It's like it was an accidental writing. But the basis of it was, how did I get to this point? Like, how did I, before my diagnosis and after di diagnosis, what did I do to get here? 
and like how did I manage to like start a business? How did I manage to do all these things that people that either have you know like with me a, a severe inat inattentive ADHD with um, uh, generalized uh, anxiety disorder? That that was they always go hand in hand. You, you gotta love that. <laughs> but uh, I've broken the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I was like, well, how did I do it? And I, I just started writing out things. I was like, one night, I was, we were in New Mexico, and you know, I, I live in Georgia, but I was taking care of an elderly uh, uncle, and one night I couldn't sleep, so I just kind of did a brain dump of just like, how did I get here? And I started writing out, well, I, I use a lot of post-it notes. Okay, well, let's write about that. It's like, oh, I, my to-do lists. I have, I have little, you know, five by eight legal pads ev everywhere. Like, yeah, post-it notes and legal pads are my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I started writing out like, well, how did I make that a habit? How did I go into that? And I was like, what else? I was like, well, journals. I have tons of like little journals, but like specifically, how do I use them? And I was like, oh, and meditation. And then I started going down everything. I was like. I do breath work to calm down. I use support groups because it helps. I was like, and I, I just kept writing all this stuff. And then after like one night, I had 25 pages of just a wall of text. <laughs> and I said, huh, I think there's something here. I, I need to talk to my business coach who doesn't know anything that I like to write at all. She knows me as a photographer. So let's see what she thinks about this. And she goes, uh, just send me the draft. L let me take a look. And she's like, you don't just have a book. You have multiple books here, but uh. let's, let's focus on one. You know, like pick a few of these things. Let's make, make it make sense. And I was like, okay. And in six months time, I had written a book like the, it just happened. Yeah. And when I put it out there, everyone's like, wow, how how are you such an authority to write on something like this? I was like, because it's my life. This is how yeah. I got here. And this is how, like, I I think when you have that perspective, I think that's that's what the, the diagnosis did for me, too. I was like, oh, I didn't know then that I would be able to help people. But as soon as I got to the point where I, I wrote the book and sent it to my editor, who is autistic, and has a husband with ADHD and I got my notes back and she saw it was like halfway through the notes like all normal editorial notes that I would get and then all of a sudden there was this huge highlighted section that said hey I never tried this before we're trying it out and it's working really well I was like okay it's work I'm already helping people and yeah the book's not even done there, there's a beauty to it when when you are in it mm -hmm. and it, it lends to the credibility, especially when you're working with kids. I mean, that's, that's a big thing right there. Um, but how, how did you get into, like, how did you get down to that path? Yeah. I, I refer to myself as an accidental entrepreneur. That's kind of my tagline. <laughs> um, I, business is not my jam, to be honest. I did not ever expect to be running a business. Um, I started as a teacher and then became a specialist and an administrator. And um, I, <laughs> I'm 
one of my favorite things about my ADHD brain is I'm super impulsive, but I really love that about myself because it keeps me from second guessing things. Yeah. It's like, just go, just do it, move forward. So yes. it actually came from, I, at the time I was a behavior specialist and I went to a training from a group that, um, I don't know if they're as popular anymore, but they, at the time they were hugely popular in the social skills realm. And I was already using resources from them, um, very familiar with them. And so I went to a training that they were having and I'm just sitting there, I think it was two days and I'm just sitting there thinking, I could do this. Mm. Like I could do this. And then during the training, I remember it was in February and they're from California and they announced that in July every year they had their own conference and people who were using their materials could present at their conference. And so I left that two day training um, and decided I was going to start my own business teaching social skills and that I was going to present at their conference in July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so in May, I officially registered my business um, and did my application to present at the conference. Uh, my business opened in June. I went to California and presented in July. And that was more than seven years ago. <laughs> wow. 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 Yeah. yeah. But I, I um, you know, my cat is in the blinds, so there's, I can okay. hear all the, all the rattling going. She's, there must be something else. She's squirrel too, right? Yeah. yeah. There must be a squirrel out there. She's going nuts in the blinds. I actually have them open at the bottom so she can just sit there and look out. But one oh. of them is not open, and that's the one she's trying to of take course. advantage of. Um, you got to love it. So, um, now I've completely lost my train of thought. Well, well, um, how you said like that, you know, seven years ago, that's based on oh, yeah, impulsivity. Yeah. Like you started your business. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So I, I have zero business background knowledge and it was very obvious in the first couple of years. I just had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly going into, I also ended up, my main program is I teach social skills groups mm -hmm. and I ended up also starting a private school, um, within my business. And that was 2019 that I mm -hmm. started the private school. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, six, seven months happened. later, everything yeah. happened. Um, but actually uh, one of the results of lockdown, we were completely closed for two and a half months. My only source of income, mm -hmm. um, it helped me, realize that I, the business just was not set up well because mm. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I really, I actually closed the school. It wasn't profitable. Um, it's, you know, private schools for kids with, with neurodiversities are, I mean, it's very hard to be profitable because you either have to charge a lot of money or you have to not have a great program. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, so, um, I just really restructured the way that I was doing things. And when we came back from lockdown, ever since then, it's been just much more enjoyable, um, more profitable. It's been an actual business. And now I also teach people how to start their own social club. 
That's so awesome. I, which is blows my mind because I, again, this is business is not my jam, but I have figured out this business. And so, um, one of the women that I'm coaching just started her own over the summer and she already had more kids enrolled than I had in my first two years. Oh. So it, hey, you know, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> that's just a, a testament to your ability to, to show people what to do, whatever well, that they... was my goal, right? Let's not, I don't want people to try to start this and for it to take them as long as it took me to yeah. really figure it out that I don't want that. I, yeah. I want people to, to be able to learn from what I've learned and be able to come in and, you know, 90 day window, let's, let's get you going. Um, and, and to just be in a, in a better position than, than I was in my first three years or so. Yeah. You know, that's, oh, yeah. a, that, that's a, but that's really, I think that's something I, I see as a commonality between a lot of people that are neurodivergent. They, when they figure out a way to like, either be of service through a business or through just like a one-on-one -on -one service or anything where they're helping somebody else. What I'm finding is people will say the same thing. Cause I, I said the same, I want to teach people these things so they don't have, <laughs> they don't have to uh, go through the same struggles I did. Yes. I, I yes. think that that was, that's, it's been like a, a common thread that I, I've had through a lot of conversations, both on episodes and also just in, in person. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's a really beautiful sentiment too, because it shows that like, yeah, we don't want, we don't want to have everyone struggling. Like we want everyone to, to thrive and succeed in what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that's, it's really important for a lot of people to, to understand. It's like when one of us figures it out, I mean, we really figure it out and then we go, okay, <laughs> we, we need other people to figure it out too. So let's, let's help them. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think that's one of the things I am really a big advocate for people getting diagnosed, yeah. um, because in my personal experience, I, you know, not knowing that I had ADHD, I wasn't in any kind of ADHD communities or groups or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if I was struggling with something, never was my thought, well, what are other ADHD people do? Because I didn't know that that's what it was. Yeah. And then as soon as I was diagnosed, I'm in Facebook groups and I'm in, you know, and I'm joining all these things. And now it's like when you have a question or, or like, how do other people deal with this? There's so many people that you can ask but before you know what this is all you're really looking at is like symptom how do other yeah. people handle always being late to everything yeah. how do other people you know what i mean like you it's like you you're or even like a really i can one thing that comes up a lot in some of the groups that i'm in is like the concept of interrupting for example yeah but if you were to go to just a general Facebook group. Like I can't even think of a group. Maybe like your neighborhood Facebook group. I don't know. And you, hey guys, how do you guys um, handle it if you find that you keep interrupting other people? What <laughs> kind of feedback do you think? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the feedback that you would get from that, the comments. And so I think before people know what their makeup is, it's like you 
where are you supposed to go to ask questions and get help with things? And even, I feel like I spend a lot of time with my students unteaching. Like, yeah. you know, like, that makes sense. Um, I was the, I was taught one of my students is 21 and he's off in college and, um, very, um, you know, on top of all his classes and he lives in a dorm and all that kind of stuff. And he'll, I love him so much because he'll send me an email every time before we meet, letting me know like, Hey Steph, this is what's going on this week. And he'll lay out like, these are the challenges. These are the things that are working really well. And it's like, I just, you know, he's got such a great grasp on himself, but it's just so interesting because even with all of that, he, you know, we had a whole conversation about how to join a group discussion because he was like, I don't know how to do that without being awkward. And I said to him, I bet it's because you're trying things that other people have told you to do. Like yeah. go up and say, Hey guys, what are you talking about? No, that don't do that. Work. That doesn't work. Right? Don't do that. <laughs> um, or going up and, and introducing yourself, like don't do nope. that. Right. <laughs> and so I think it's, we had a really interesting conversation about the things that he has been taught and, and tries to put into practice and how they're actually more harmful than helpful. Yeah. Um, and even I had a, a parent of a new student the other day that said, you know, that they were trying to arrange um, like play groups and, and, you know, get togethers and things like that, but it hadn't really gone anywhere. And I'm like, oh, please stop doing that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, please stop picking random kids and, and like smushing your kids together and hoping it will work out. So it's yeah. just, it's, it's so many things that are neurotypical social, <laughs> yeah, um, but that actually aren't how social works. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, 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 like I, I spend a lot of time un unlearning, you know, I, and I think that's, that's actually a really good um, approach to it too, because it was ingrained in me to to approach things certain ways, and like mm-hmm. if I was doing it any other way that actually worked for me, it was wrong. And mm-hmm. to to grow up with that, and obviously, you know, if, especially in like high school and, and things like that, I, I look back at it now and I kind of I laugh because you know, therapy helps, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I can look back and laugh now at like how how different it would have been if I just said approach things the way I approach things now or like how I like go into any type of group situation now or or even like I find because I found what always worked for me, which would be really funny is. I got that nickname of like, oh, you're, you're, you're the quiet type. I'm like, no, what I'm doing is literally taking all the information and analyzing. Yeah. <laughs> observing I, and analyzing. Yeah. That's what works. Um, yeah. Because then I can like, uh, it's kind of like waiting for your moment to break somebody off that you can get one-on-one with. That was my mm-hmm. thing. Because if I can get one-on-one with people, it's, I can connect with them and I don't have to worry about the cross talk and get uh-huh. lost in all that noise. So yeah. finding all that out, like that was trial and that was, you know, 39 years of trial and error. <laughs> but when I found out how it worked and I was like, if I talk to one person, they could be my advocate for the group. So I can talk to them, yeah. build that rapport with them. And then what happens is 
I get included into the group. And that is much easier than being like, hi, I'm just going to interrupt this huge conversation going on. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think um, I do want to say um, a lot of times when I talk about like, don't ask the group what they're talking about, people are confused by that. Yeah. Right. And so I would love to, um, if I can share what I do teach instead of that, because yeah. I think a lot of people are like, what do you mean? Don't ask people what they're talking about. Like, shouldn't you know what they're talking about? <laughs> um, so the answer is yes, you should know <laughs> what they're talking about, but here's, here's the challenge. When we try to join a group conversation and we do it by asking a question, what happens is that the whole group has to stop their conversation so that somebody can answer our question. Mm. So we disrupt the group to try to join it. Yeah. So that's why I don't ever recommend trying to join by asking a question because it's disruptive. And we, a lot of times I realize that my kids pick the conversation they want to join based on who's in the group, as opposed to based on what they're talking about, mm. because we should, if they're talking about something you don't care about or don't have <laughs> any familiarity with, let's yeah, that, not join that conversation, right? What are you contributing to that conversation? Yep. Let's try to join conversations. Um, when we, know what they're talking about and we're interested in it. And so you can, like you were saying, observe and, you know, take note. You can stand to the side. Um, I teach the kids to use a distraction, mm -hmm. right? So you're not awkwardly like, you know, um, <laughs> I've, I've been there before, before the, the world of, you know, smartphone. <laughs> yeah. So, so just stand to the side where you can hear what they're talking about, but you don't look awkward. Hmm. And then once you pick up on what the topic is, think of a comment that you can say to contribute to the topic. And then, that, and then you're either accepted or you're not. Yeah. Right. But that's, that's how you're most likely to be accepted into a group conversation is by already knowing what they're talking about and adding to what they're talking about. So don't ask them, Hey guys, what are you talking about? Um, or even, are you guys talking about UFO? Like just yeah. don't ask a question because yeah. it's disruptive. So listen to what they're talking about, use a distractor. So it's not so awkward. And then just say something and also like you mentioned earlier in a social conversation anybody can talk at any time yeah. including talking over other people including talking across the group including three sub conversations so yeah social conversations we have to understand all that dynamic because nobody's interrupting you nobody's talking it's a social conversation so yeah, yeah your suggestion of starting with somebody one-on-one -on -one, that's definitely a strategy i suggest too because conversations are super overwhelming because they're yes, always they changing <laughs> every time somebody says something the conversation changes yeah and so if you're just talking to somebody one-on-one -on -one, there's a lot less change happening there's less distractions happening right it's just you and this person having a chance to connect. Yeah. Whew. I, it's overwhelming even just talking well, yeah. about all that stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it is because it is the, the social aspect. And I always tell people too, like, well, how did you, cause 
they look uh, look into my past and they see like well you you worked with a lot of like big crowds and like i i was like in did a lot of music when i was younger and did a lot of things where i was interacting with large groups of people i was like it didn't go smooth and i didn't do it like it wasn't just like a natural thing i had to learn how to do it mm-hmm. and, and for some people like i have a buddy that is you know very extroverted and he can do that he can mm-hmm. just get right into the to the mix i'm very introverted but i love connecting with people which always throws people for a loop but i was like give me that one-on-one and mm-hmm. that's that's how i learned how to to build my it's not just confidence, but build my uh, ability to to work with crowd, you know, crowds of people in social aspects, because overwhelm is a real, you know, it's a real problem, especially mm-hmm. in larger social groups. I think that one of the hardest things too is is when you have uh, these large groups and you have a mix of neurotypical and neurodivergent people, because there mm-hmm. are. Like I know a lot of the groups that I hung out with in in high school and in college, it's a good mix of both. And I always saw the clusters of the neurodivergent people together. And I would want to, I always wanted a little bit of everything. Me being a connect, like I want to connect with everyone. (laughs) Like I want to see see what's going on. But I I think I always find, did you find yourself I can even say to this day, I still have two friends from high school that I still talk to almost daily, and they're both neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. So do you see that often with, with a lot of your students where they fall into these cliques of, of other neurodivergent people? What I see a lot of is I one of the things I talk about a lot is that everybody in the world is naturally attracted to other people that we share something with. Um, it could be our ethnicity. It could be where we live. It could be, um, you know, where we went to high school. Um, neurodivergent people are naturally attracted to other neurodivergent people because there's a sense of connection and community there. And so for the most part, I find that my students bond with each other. Um, it's actually really interesting in my program because I, I don't separate kids by age. Um, I don't separate them by intellectual ability. We're just all in there together. Mm. And it's so cool to see the kids that bond to each other that you would have never thought, you know, these two kids would connect, but they, maybe they share a common interest or maybe they have a similar story or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I have two kids that are very different ends of the intellectual spectrum, but they go to the same school right and so it's just these things that connect them uh so i find that while i am definitely in favor of my kids making friends with anybody that they want to they definitely gravitate towards kids who are like them even if neither one of them knows about the other's diagnosis so a lot of times when i'm if i'm talking to a new family and the parent might say oh he has a you know a kiddo that he really likes at school and i'll always say is this kiddo like him Mm -hmm. and the answer is yes right and so even if neither one of them are diagnosed we we just gravitate we we gravitate toward people that we feel like understand us 
Yeah. And it's much easier to understand someone that is like you, right? Yeah. And so that's really what I find. I do have some students that prefer neurotypical peers. And even mm -hmm. when we, with my older students, when we talk about romantic relationships, I have some students who prefer to not disclose their diagnosis and to date people who are neurotypical. So we're, we're you know, they're kind of all over the place with that. But for the most part, I find that they prefer each other. They gravitate yeah. toward each other. The other thing in, in my groups, um, now my groups are all on Zoom, but before um, I had an in-person location. And um, so one of the things, I totally forgot where I was going with that. Um, uh, with having um, the, the different, uh, not not types, but uh, the larger uh, array of, of yeah, kids. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, yeah I don't know either. Um, <laughs> this, is the, this is the fun part of conversations with neurodivergent Yeah, so people. I'll just say um, <laughs> that it's really interesting because a lot of the students in my program don't have friends at school, mm. um, but they have friends in my program, oh, right? And yeah. And so it's, I just think it's, it's really important that everybody has groups of other people who share something with them, right? Like I said, yeah. it could be where you're from. It could be, uh, if you, I mean, if you look at the Facebook groups that you're in, you know, you're in Facebook groups around your interests, um, maybe where you live, um, you know, just different that, I mean, Facebook groups are a great example of like, you're not in Facebook groups for things that don't apply to you. Yeah. Or do you want or things you're not interested in? Yeah. And so I think Facebook groups are a great example of how we're all attracted to people that we have something in common with. Yeah, uh, Facebook groups are a, a big, a big plus um, for me as well. I, I mean, I'm in a few different ADHD support groups. That, mm -hmm. that was like the first thing I did. I was like, I gotta mm -hmm. find something, and then I found there there's like different types of support groups and. Uh, I, I kind of touched on it in my book a little just because I, I had to go down this path of I know it works for me and sometimes just knowing that other people are are, are going through it and figuring it out it helps but also like I sometimes I have like a dark sense of humor or it's a little mm -hmm. twisted and there's some groups that you know they'll just post memes and, and be silly and, and say like silly things and it just feel it feels good to see it, and yeah. I I think having the the variety um, it really it, it helps so much because yeah. it, it's just like in in high school I remember being it, it wasn't an outcast because the friends I had were in other like cliques and other groups. Mm -hmm. Like I had the friend that was on the football team. I had mm -hmm. the friend that was in the band and I had the friend that was like in the chess club. And like, we all kind of like were able to use our superpower that we didn't even know we had. Cause back then it was just like, it was always like the joke of like, aha, ADHD. Like, I'm sorry, uh -huh. sorry, got, got ADD brain. And it's like, no, we really did. We yeah. really did. That yeah. was the problem. We're all a little ADHD. No, some of us are very ADHD. Yes. <laughs> we make up for the rest of you. Yeah. 
and that was um that was like the realization as as we all got older and i was probably i think i'm the only one in that that group of friends that was tested but then like once i went down that rabbit hole of like all right i got my diagnosis and i started doing the research and i check off every box on the inattentive side which was funny because i was like well yeah that that was interesting but then on the hyperactive side i ticked off like four or five of, of like seven or eight boxes and i was like oh well yeah and i told them about all the testing i did and going through and the the absolute horror that it was like a a giant like 600 question <laughs> test <laughs> that i had to sit through and i was like that's just like the biggest cruelest irony yeah. ever like I have an attention deficit problem and you're giving me something I have to pay attention to <laughs> like great but I, I I started going through it all and telling them about it and then like you could see the light bulb starting to turn on in their head like wow this is this is making too much sense actually this is like I think there's something going on with with me too because you keep listening and that's when you know some of my friends find out like oh well uh, the ADHD is is there, but it's it's lower on the scale. But I found out about my OCD, or found out like, oh, I you know dyslexia and uh, the, you know the the other thing that I have that I, I always mispronounce because for some reason my brain still does it where it wants to say like dystracula, but it's the, uh, the, the math one. Yes. <laughs> Did, I, I don't know. Dyscalculia? Yes. I, that's, okay. how, that's how you say it. But my brain goes dystracula and I don't know <laughs> why so Dracula. <laughs> I don't know why Dracula comes up <laughs> or what he has to do with math. But that is, um, that was always like the big thing for me because people, you know, people would always ask me, like, you're very intelligent. You've gone through, you know, school, even though I didn't like school because of issues that I had with teachers. But I never took notes because whatever the information would just sink in and I'd be able to take tests and pass. However, math, I could never do it. And I never understood why. Because, you know, I would have to show my work and every time I would have to write out a, a answer long form all the numbers would be messed up or I'd have like, like extra numbers in there. And they're like, where are you getting these numbers? I'm like, I don't, they're in my head. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, and they're, I put them on the paper cause I think that's what's happening. Like, but no one caught on to that, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but you know, they, we start going down all the other things are under in the uh, umbrella of neurodiversity and like, all my friends started picking up on these little things. They're like, well, now I have to go get, now I have to go get tested and I'm going to go talk to a doctor and I'm going to do, I was like, you should, because yeah. finding out, finding out was, was like the moment of clarity. Yeah. It's empowering. Yeah. Yeah. I think Actually, I just perfect. did a podcast episode on this a couple of weeks ago about why I think it was, um, why we should tell our kids about their diagnosis. Um, when we should tell them and how mm. to tell them yeah. um, that most of the kids that I work with are aware of their diagnosis, but sometimes I get new kids in and their parents say, you know, we haven't told them and I, whatever, right. Everybody can make their own decision. But in my program, the kids talk about it openly. I yeah, mean, I they gonna, talk about being say. autistic. They talk about, you know, and so what generally happens with the few kids I've had that, that didn't know 
is they hear us talking about it and they relate to it. Mm. And so then I even had one kid, I think he was like 10 and he came to meet with me and, and I was just saying, I kind of will throw out there. Um, yeah. In my program, it's primarily for kids who are autistic or have ADHD. And he's like, what does that mean? And his, he was diagnosed with both, but mm -hmm. did not know. Right. And so I started explaining autism and he looked at his mom and he said, that sounds like me. And then he said, what's that other one? And I said, ADHD. I said, actually, I have ADHD. And I started explaining ADHD. And he was like, that sounds like me too. But he was actually excited about it. It was like that, the connection uh, had been made, right? Yeah. And so I was like, there you go. Now I, you know. Yeah. That, in that, that's a beautiful thing because that's a positive connection. That's yeah. there's no yeah. trauma behind that that sort of connection. That's a that's a positive reinforcing experience and memory that he's going to have. Be like I I found out that I had this and other people have it too. And it's yeah. it, and there's a whole bunch of really cool Welcome people to here. Our club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome. Because I, I was going to ask, like you you said, like uh, when to 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 tell your child. I mean, I don't have kids, but I know uh, a few of my friends that do have ADHD um, have kids that also have ADHD because right. this is how it works. Um, how are you? <laughs> but when when is like a good time? Is it more up to the obviously? It's up to the parents' discretion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, do you think it's better earlier or? Yes. Mm. So I'm also not a parent. Um, I, I think kind of my philosophy about everything in life is I think people deserve information. I think yeah. people deserve to know things. And so in, in the episode I did, I, I likened it to when I was in high school, my high school counselor, I would babysit her kids and they were adopted at birth. And so in her home, they had pictures of, I don't remember if they had the same mom or a different mom, but they had pictures of, I, I think they had the same mom, maybe. They, there were pictures of their mom in their home growing up. And it was never, they talked about the fact that they were adopted. Mm -hmm. And I think they even visited their mom, um, but it was never a secret. It was never something that to be, ashamed of and i think the families that i know that have chosen not to tell our, their kids that's why is because yeah. they feel like they're shame to it um to me i am i love i mean i talk about it all the time yeah. so i i that is a gets a little emotional for me when parents choose not to tell their kids because they feel like their kids will be upset about it or there's a sense of shame that gets me emotionally because there's, I find it very enlightening. And, you know, I think those of us who've had the experience as adults, I don't, I don't know that I've ever come across somebody who got diagnosed as an adult and was like, ah, yeah. you know, it's like you get diagnosed as an adult and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's validation. So I, yes, that's a great, that's a great word. It's validation. So that's, I think when parents feel like their kids will be upset about it, they're projecting their own. But again, yeah. it's when I talk to the kids about it, we do talk about the things that are difficult, 
but I put so much more energy and focus on the things that are really amazing. Like for people who are autistic, they generally have amazing memories. They have great attention to detail, Um, right? People who have ADHD are really creative. I mean, there's, there's, I think if you start the conversation that way, what are all the really cool things about the way that you're brain? Because a lot of the things the kids don't even recognize that it, that's different than most other kids, right? Yeah. Like they might not recognize. So many of my kids are amazing creators, like builders or artists. And, you know, typical kids aren't that amazing at it. Yeah. And so just to be able to recognize something like that, do you see what you just drew? I, like, oh my gosh, like most kids are not drawing things like that. So I think to start with the things that are really beneficial yeah. about having a differently wired brain and then, you know, pointing out it also may mean that it's harder for you to pay attention than it is for other kids. It also may mean it's harder for you to get along with other kids. It also may do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. it also may mean that it's harder for you to learn certain things. But yeah. all of it in a very positive yet realistic manner. Right. We're not, we're not, we're being truthful and honest. So we're not sugarcoating things, but we're choosing to focus on the positive because that's what you want your kid to focus on for the rest of their life. You want them to focus on the things about their brain that make them who they are and make them amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's so important too. the, the to start with that positive aspect because you know, the, there's been millions of people that'll say it and they'll talk about it. They're like, it is a superpower because there are things that we do that defy logic for a lot of people. <laughs> and people will even say that about me. They're like, okay, so I, the generalized anxiety disorder, anxiety is a thing, social anxiety, a thing. But in times of crisis, people will come to me because I seem to just, I can navigate it really easy. <laughs> I don't, mm-hmm. I don't freak out. I don't get like, uh, I, there's no overwhelm there, which is strange. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, but if I go into the grocery store at the wrong time of day and there's too many people, that could be overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just funny how, you know, but, but those are like, that's the positive side of it is like, yeah, I in moments of crisis and, you know, time that you need decisive action. Yeah, come to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that impulsivity and that be, being able to, to just make things, do things on the fly and just mm-hmm. figure it out as I go, that, that's, that's a superpower. But, you know, if you give me a set of instructions and it's something I really don't have an interest in, it's probably no, not going to get done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I, I've, I've cried sometimes over <laughs> having tasks that I need to do that I just don't and it could be a five minute task right i mean yep. it doesn't but i'm i just don't want to. <laughs> yeah I, uh, I i tell people all the time and people will go well you're very creative i'm like yeah i've been doing art stuff since i was little that's always been a thing just creative thinking you know i love i love thinking way outside the box it's super fun it's stimulating um but then, you know, logical things never really 
had never really tickled me. And mm-hmm. that's, that's something that, you know, I learned growing up is it has to interest me. And it took me my entire life to find the things that I, it, it took me until now at 42, um, to find the, there's like three pillars now in my life uh, that I go, Oh yeah, these are the things that really spark my interest no matter Mm what. Like I'm a photographer. I've been a photographer, but that's photography is that, but I can pick up a camera at a moment's notice and I feel at home and it's like this great thing for me. I can connect with people. Connecting with people led to the podcast. Uh, that's, it started as a, like a passion project, because I was like, oh, lots of people found their like way through life and like are doing really interesting things. And the original iteration of the podcast was this this idea of like, oh, they're they're they have the beginner's mind. They're like they're uh, the professional amateur was the old name. So it was like they are putting out professional work, but they're amateurs. They're always wanting to get better. And, and I was like, oh, this this is sparking something. But what I found out two things was all these people are neurodivergent (laughs) and I just want to connect with them. I just want to talk to them. I want to hear their story because their stories are mirroring my stories. And that gave me something like to keep going. I was like, okay, so that's two big things. I was like, well, what else can I do? And, And that's writing became that thing. And I was like, okay, I'm finding these things now. And that's, when you find that thing and some people will find it later in life, some people will find it early in life. But when you find it, it, the hardest thing is hearing people say, don't do it when it sparks so much joy in your life. I mean, unless it's like something horrible, like, Oh, I love burning orphanages down. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's, that's bad. I'm really good at it. Yeah. But I really like doing it. It makes me feel great. (laughs) But, but, you know, it, it's, um, I was always told that growing up, they're like, don't, don't pursue art. It will go mm-hmm. nowhere. And it's like, but that's how I got through high school is taking art classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, I went to an art college and like I did art. That was, that was my thing. And, you know, to be told like, well, that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to, mm-hmm. you know, get an office job. So I did. Boy, was I miserable. Mm-hmm. It was like from 2000 to 2012 was basically super miserable career wise. And then I started working in radio and then I was like, oh, every day is different. There's a whole bunch of really fun stuff. I get to be creative. I get to do all this stuff. And I, I get to think on the fly and talk you know, live on the air, there's a million people in the listening area. This is really cool. I like just keep going through all this. I was like, I'm finding something here because there's something here. And I'm like, I'm being creative. I'm doing, it's a different form of art, but it's art. Mm -hmm. So to be told, you know, your entire life that, you know, you have to do it this way. It's like, no, you don't, you don't have to do it that way. Cause it's, if you're doing it your way, and it's working for you you have to stop listening to the 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 neurotypical like no you can't do it that way it's not the way you're supposed to do it i think i've i've learned that honestly in business i am i think when i first 
when lockdown hit and I was like, I got to get this thing together. I, I bought a lot of programs. I took a lot of courses and I kind of have abandoned all of them because they're all very, this is how you should be doing things. And I just don't function that way. No. I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you how I'm willing to do it. I'll tell you what I'm willing to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just don't function that way. Even, you know, social media, you're supposed to post every day. Like, mm. you know, I, I, my, my Facebook page for my group is not what brings people into my world. And I, yeah, I, I am not willing to do anything that I don't want to do because very quickly I will stop doing it. And so anything that I've, that I've tried to start doing because someone's like, this is what you're supposed to do. I will very quickly stop doing even I've changed the format of my podcast. So I've had my podcast for maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I've changed the format three times <laughs> because sometimes I just get tired of the format. And, and I, I realized that I stop creating episodes and I'm like, something's gotta be different because mm-hmm. people are saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Well, <laughs> That means no. Anytime you tell me supposed to, that means no. It's a hard no. stop right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what you should be doing, what you're supposed to be doing, what everybody else is doing, no to all of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I think uh, I, I've realized that myself too, and the big change for me is like, well, why did you rebrand everything that you do? Because everything is now, you know, navigating neurodivergence. So I was like, Joe, like, is it because you named your it's like a part of the title of your book. I'm like, no, I, because this is, this is the thing. Everything mm-hmm. that I do is, is connected to this because that's my life. My life mm-hmm. is navigating neurodivergence. Like, so the fact that I rebranded everything to that is, is showing the world that like, I'm done being scattered all over the place. Mm-hmm. We're going to get, we're going to get into one lane that is, the lane that is me. And so uh, hopefully I never get tired of me because <laughs> if I get tired of me, that, then we have a different problem on our hands. <laughs> but I, I honestly, I, I look at it and you, you just, you said something that made me laugh because I have a, a post-it note here and I wrote it in the book too. I was like, there is a question that I ask myself whenever I sit down here at my giant thing whether i'm editing photos making videos doing whatever creative thing or just watching youtube or being distracted playing video games whatever have you know have you uh in the post-it note says is this what you want to be doing and it's a post-it note that i put in the book for a reason and, and it's a question that's not like Oh, is this why I want to be doing? No, I want to be a, a millionaire. I'm like, oh, that's great aspirations. But like the thing that you're doing right now, is this what you actually want to be doing? Because if you don't want to do social media today, why are you trying to do social media mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. It's you're not go- you're not going to be it's not sustainable. Yeah. yeah. So it's like okay, don't force it. You're going to burn yourself out really fast. Cause I, I learned that because there'd be days where I'd sit down and be like, all right. I'm going to do my, my batch post for the next 15 days. I'll just throw up all the posts and I get done with the first one and I look down at the, the post-it note and I go, no, this isn't what I want to do today. 
It might be tomorrow. It might be three days from now, mm -hmm. but today, no. And mm -hmm. I have to ask myself, I'm like, what do I want to do? And then generally that thing will just pop up right in my head and be like, oh, you want to go for a walk? Go for a walk. Okay, let's go for a walk. I'm just going to go, like, go to the park and go for a walk. And it's amazing what happens when you just follow that intuition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I come back and I feel better. And then a natural progression of things will happen. And it probably won't be any social media that day. But all of a sudden, I'll, I'll, while I'm walking, I might have a thought about something. And I go, oh, that's an interesting thought. Let me put that down. And maybe I might write a couple thousand words on a new blog or for you know the next book. Or maybe an idea comes for like a, a funny video that I want to record for YouTube and like, or something different. And I'm like, right. Oh, like, yeah, that's why I needed to go for a walk. That's what I needed to do. And no, I didn't need to sit at my computer and, and do social media posts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent of, like I said, post-it notes everywhere. I've, they're all over my office here. <laughs> That's how I operate too, is post-it notes. I, I think I'm not a to-do list person. Mm. Um, I only use a to-do list if I feel like I'm not going to remember things, but I am not a person who likes to, I don't care at all about crossing things off. I actually prefer like what I like. I have my thing, um, is I love completion. Mm -hmm. Even like, I love finishing a shampoo bottle. I like just things. I love eating leftovers because now that there's nothing left in that. I love the concept of completion. Yeah. So I write everything on post-it notes, but my favorite thing is throwing that post-it note away when I don't need it anymore. <laughs> so like right now, if I look at my desk, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 post-it notes on my desk. But the goal is for them to be thrown away. I love that. It, that's it, that's how I operate. It's like, oh, what can I, what post-it note can I get rid of today? You know, I just uh, love, uh, I love that <laughs> sense of, for real, it's a thing with like shampoo bottles and stuff. Like I just love being done with something. Like mm -hmm. I don't need that anymore. You know, that's, <laughs> I think that's, that actually, it brings me to a, a point that I tell people too. The few people that have read my book, they're like, well, what if to-do list does? I was like, this is what worked for me. And here's the thing mm -hmm. is you can modify it and you can I definitely want people to listen to what she just said because <laughs> she uses the post-it notes and instead of crossing off a to-do list, those are things that she wants to get rid of and get done and the physical act of throwing them out. There you go. You found, yeah. your, you found your, that's your do little dopamine thing. For me, I've tricked my brain into crossing off things, giving me a dopamine hit. I'm it's, happy with that. Like the opposite, like most people say they'll even add things to their to-do list just so <laughs> just they cross it I'm off. Like, I have zero desire to cross <laughs> things off a list. When I do a note on my phone, like maybe if it's a grocery shopping list or something, I delete them as I get them because my goal is to leave and have nothing on that list anymore. Wow. So it's so interesting how I seem to operate in the opposite way than most people yeah. when it comes to like lists and tasks and stuff. My goal is to like be done with 
all of them and not have them on my desk anymore. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, but that's awesome. But that shows you that we, we, f we find our way. We make our and, own. You know, I think that's another thing since I work with kids is a lot of, hey, I just bit one of my post-it notes. And I want to throw this it. one out for you. <laughs> put a tooth hole in it. Um, it's a post-it note. Like, okay. Um, but a lot of times with kids, um, parents will want to, you know, buy them planners and folders and, and colored pens. And we will only use systems that work for us. Yeah. And it's a very individual system and process. And so instead of going out and buying things for your kid, let your kid figure out what works for them. And you can, yeah. you can give suggestions and you can bring things home and you can say, you know, but just know that you may try out five different systems yeah. um, before your kid finds one that they think they really like. And that's why a lot of times in schools, they have certain planners that are mandatory or a certain what like your folder has to be um, homework on the left and, and to do on the right. Yep. We have to find organizational strategies that work for us. We yeah. can't use things that that, you know, other people have created and kind of pushed at us. We're just not going to. And I think I mean, it's taken me, you and I are the same age. It's, it's taken me a very, very, very long time to find what those systems are for me. Yeah. Um, but I have, you know, I mean, I live by myself. I've got to figure some things out. There's nobody else here who's going to do them. Um, I, you know what? I function a lot off of the concept of, um, schedule and routine, mm -hmm. but for example, I always do laundry on Sundays mm, and yeah. I have a certain rotation of, um, like this Sunday is workout clothes and underwear. Next Sunday is regular everyday clothes. Like I have a system for how I do my laundry because that means I'm only doing one or two loads at a time, but I'm all every week I'm doing laundry, Yeah. right? I wash the dishes every night before I go to bed so that they're clean in the morning. But I even, for me, when things are not systematized and habitual, they don't get done. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't do laundry on Sundays because I'm like waking up on Sunday, like it's laundry day. I do laundry on Sundays <laughs> because if I don't have a system, it doesn't get done. The same with like, I empty my kitty's litter at, on a schedule um, because that's how I've found I get things done is by doing them the same, whether it's every day, every week. Um, I have things, you know, things I do around the house once a month, but it's when things are a system and a schedule, they're not a surprise and they're not it's just what you do as opposed to being something that's an obtrusive event. Yeah. It's just what you do yeah. when things are random, they become obtrusive events. Yeah. I, I, I tell, you know, I tell my wife this all the time and she, now she understands because once I was diagnosed that we both, she was like, I have, I have to find out like how, how to get through this with you. Like, uh, cause this is, this is new. For her, mm -hmm. she's very neurotypical, and she was 
she used to wonder like why do you do like you have the same routine every morning like the like you you get up you'll go you'll brush your teeth and then you'll come you'll make the bed and then you'll go downstairs you'll you'll take the dogs out and then after you take them out you feed them and then you empty the dishwasher every morning every morning it's the same routine um and whenever there's a new thing that i have to introduce i have to really work at adding that to the new routine and that yeah. you know takes whatever other tools that i have little lists post-it notes whatever it's like normally i have the post-it notes or or a, a list right there and i'll say like whatever the new thing is so sometimes like meditation's a big thing for me so now like in the morning i get up 30 minutes earlier and i come meditate and do that and then i do that routine <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like but if there's a morning that oh we got to go someplace and uh, everything gets all jumbled up like the rest of the day is shot then because that routine is now not there mm -hmm. and i go through the day and i go what did i miss there's something wrong and then like i can't focus on anything and i get home and i'm like this is all this is all wrong Mm. <laughs> see that's interesting i don't have that at all i'm i'm super flexible and adaptable like i whatever i i actually am pretty routine averse <laughs> um <laughs> i just know that it's the only way i'm going to get things done yeah and so i have this same with my mornings and my evenings i have certain things that i do for each but i get up whenever i feel like it and kind of the same with going to bed. I don't have a schedule for either one. I'm self-employed, you know, I don't have yeah. a schedule for either one. Um, my, my workouts, I have um, each day of the week is a, is a certain thing, but they're not, there's, with a couple exceptions, they're not time bound. Mm -hmm. But it just means at some point today, <laughs> these are the things that I'm doing. Yeah. So I have I have that interesting thing. I actually prefer to not have structure and routine. I just know that I'm much more likely to get things done if I do. Yeah, I see. And I think that's, that's you know, that's we all have our, our different ways, which is what is so beautiful about it. And I, I know for me, that morning routine leads to me sitting down to make my list for for the day because mm -hmm. once i get done with the dishwasher i make my cup of coffee and sit down with my pad and start writing out like okay this is what i'm gonna do because yeah. I, I know there was a point in time where the things i was gonna do were the things that are part of my morning routine like that used yeah. to be my, that was like when i first started learning about to-do lists i was like oh well i want to make sure to brush my teeth which sounds crazy but sometimes it's not part of your routine it's you'll just you know, yeah go right past there's, it so. there's sometimes <laughs> days where i get to the gym and like i didn't put on deodorant today <laughs> had because plenty i of those just days. Didn't follow my normal routine right <laughs> yep yeah yeah i have it well even this morning it's interesting i um i had several things going on today and so i most mornings i don't have an alarm because I just get up when I get up. Um, but this morning I had several things going on. And so I needed to set an alarm to be up to do my workout before my other things. And I woke up this morning. I, so I keep my phone in another room at night so that mm. I'm not, 
That's what awesome. usually happens is I'll have all these ideas and then I'm like Googling things. And, you know, so I keep my phone in another room, but I sleep with my um, Apple watch so that the alarm pings on my watch. Mm. Uh, it's a really great system for me. And this morning I woke up 45 minutes after my alarm should have gone off. And I was like, what's happening here? And so I got up and I went to my phone and my phone was dead. Not as in not charged. Oh, as it's in just dead. <laughs> not oh, no. existing, like not working. And so, um, I, and my first thought was, okay, I need to get to the Apple store or, you know, Best Buy, like I need to get it somewhere. Um, but it was 8 a.m. and nothing opened until 10 a.m. And I had to get to this appointment that I had. And But now I've missed my workout because I didn't get up on time. <laughs> but I just was like, okay. So I ended up Googling it, like what to do when your iPhone won't turn. And I came across this article that said, do this and this and this. And I did this and this and this. And there's my phone. Like now it's on. <laughs> but now I've missed my workout, right? Because I didn't. But it was super easy for me to just be like, okay, what am I going to adjust about today? Mm -hmm. And I adjusted and I went and did something else that I could have been done instead. And I made it to my, like, it was really easy for me to just, once the problem was solved, just make adjustments and substitutions. Yeah. Um, but like you said, for some people that would completely throw the rest of their day for me, I'm just like, okay, now what, yeah. <laughs> what else are we going to try today? <laughs> it's uh, just it's interesting. It's, it's yeah, I, I don't love having routines and, and things like that, but it's the only way I get things done. Otherwise I'll spend five days, you know, out in the woods somewhere, <laughs> not, not doing anything productive. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. I love it. I really do. Um, now, before we wrap things up today, I, I always want to, I always kind of leave this question question for last because it's, it's one of my favorite ones because we figure out so much in our lives and we get to where we are and we do all these things and, and we get there and we're in it. But I always love asking because neurodivergent people always have interesting answers is where are you going to be taking everything you're doing, especially, you know, with the starfish social club, you know, with everything that you have going on, just where is it going from here? Um, I am not a planner in any <laughs> sense of the word. Like, like I, I do not ever. I just go where just, life takes me. And to give oh, you a I classic example, like this is probably, this is so, the day that we're recording this, um, my lease is up in less than 10 days. Um, I have already put in my notice that I'm not staying. I am planning to move out of the state um, but that lease has not come through yet. Um, and so just to give you an idea, but I also have trained myself to just not live with anxiety. And there so I don't worry about anything. So yeah, we're recording this on a Thursday. I'm planning to move next Friday. So eight days from now. Um, but my lease hasn't been signed yet. It's in another state. Um, it's eight hours away. Um, yeah. How worried am I about it? Zero. Um, because I, I just believe everything will work itself out. I love so, that. As far as where I'm going in the future, um, in eight days, I'm moving out of the state. Um, 
And that's all I, that's and then I do know that next month I'm taking a road trip to New Mexico. Um and that's as far as I've gotten in my life. <laughs> I honestly I love being just open to the universe. I yeah. I love that so much. I yeah, I I'm going to sign a 1-year lease so I'll be living there for a year. Um and then who knows? <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting because I have this thing about on my birthday every year. It started a couple of years ago that I looked back and I realized I just had the best year of my life. And so now that's my goal on my birthday every year is to say that was the best year of my life. Mm -hmm. And so, so far I'm, I'm on, I think I've done it three times now. So my last three birthdays, I've been able to say that, but I never know on my birthday what's gonna happen before my next birth? like i didn't know on my last birthday i would be moving out of the state you that's, know so that's yeah <laughs> i think you know people out there are probably having auxiliary anxiety for you but <laughs> but i will i will say this that is the way to be that is the way to live uh, and can I tell you my thoughts about anxiety? I know we're, we both probably have other stuff to do. Um, but here I used to, to struggle with anxiety. And this is going to probably sound really simplistic. And there's probably going to be people who are like, oh, screw that. Like, but I'll tell you, this has honestly become my approach to anxiety is I just don't allow it. Yeah. I just don't allow it. And, and I, the other thing is that I believe i believe i'm moving to where i think i'm going eight days from now i believe that that's going to happen even this house that i live in now very similar situation i'd already put in my notice already a year ago i already said i was leaving i didn't know where i was going i just believe i so one part of it is believing that things will work out and the other part is controlling what i can control yeah. Right. I've... So I've controlled what I can control. There are some things out of my hands at this point. I'm thinking it will all be wrapped up tomorrow. If if not, I will figure something else out. <sighs> There's always other options. There's there are always other options. So that's that's what I have done with anxiety is I just don't allow it. I I believe that everything will work itself out um, and then I control what I can control. And I am the happiest I've ever been in my life mm. um, in the last three years or so since I started operating that way. I just don't worry about things. Uh, that I, That's a beautiful sentiment to, to kind of put a bow on it right here because that that is actually the that is the way to be um i think it's the goal right yeah. i mean it's, it's, but it's our emotions so emotions only last about seven seconds mm -hmm. it's it's the fact that we choose to hold on to them yeah. that causes them to continue so if you can just breathe through that my phone this morning right just breathe through the fact that it's just a phone you know, breathe through the fact that my I have a warranty plan on it. I can get another phone, whatever. Um, you know, I had to pay something yesterday that I did not believe I should be paying, did not want to pay. Just breathe through it and then let it go, move on, and choose a different emotion. 
And yeah. so when I, yesterday when I had to pay for that thing, I ch- I'm like, how can I reframe this? And I said, I'm really glad I have the money to pay for that. Yeah. And then I let it go and I moved on. <laughs> That's stuff that is awesome. That is awesome. I, once again, I, I, I have to thank you for coming on because I, I know people are going to hear, especially the, all of the words, but th- those last sentiments are so important because it's, it is a, a, I'm a big proponent of mindset and that mm-hmm. mindset is, it is a, a key to letting go of a lot of those like really deep rooted emotions that we have. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know, you don't want to get stuck in them and sometimes you do, but when you can, can remember that, like I can choose to be happy in this moment instead of angry, or I can choose to joy instead of fear. Right. You know, it's like, you can do that. One more thing I'll do is like, if I start thinking about like, I may be homeless in a week and then I'll just tell myself, I'm so glad that's not going to happen. And then I move on. So I do that. Sometimes if I start having a scary thought, I'll say, well, I'm so glad that's not going to (laughs) happen. And then I just move on. (laughs) That's a, that's a really good, I mean, it's a, I hate to say it. That's a good trick, but it is, it is, is. it's a a little mind (laughs) hack there because it it will instantly change your, yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't have to worry about that. So things never (laughs) turn out as bad as we, as we think they will. And so that's what led me to start saying that is like, you imagine the worst case scenario and that's never what happens. So that's what I'm so glad that's not going to (laughs) happen. Oh, like I said, thank you again, Steph. And where where online, I'm going to have everything in the show notes, just like everyone says. <laughs> yes, links are there. But I always like when my guests say where they can find every all their information online. Yeah, my website is the easiest because it has the links to everything else there. Um, it is starfishsocialclub.org. Um, so you can get to my podcast from there, my Facebook page, YouTube. All the stuff. All of the stuff. <laughs> well, once again, thank you so much, Steph. It was it was so fun. Uh, this conversation was really fun. And uh, everyone, until next time.